Good morning, church family. It is a joy to be with you all this morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We are going to be continuing our sermon series called Grow. And while you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter 5, I just want to remind you what the Lord has laid on our hearts as a church as far as this series is concerned. Uh, the Bible records in 2 Peter 3.18, and I have this on the screen for you this morning, that as a Christian, it is our mandate to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, grace, if we're defining grace correctly, and we've talked about this before, is defined as unmerited favor. By definition, grace then is something that you cannot earn, something you cannot merit, something that no matter what you do, you will just not ever deserve. Which is a beautiful concept, but if that's the case, how can I grow in something that I cannot earn or merit? What God has shown us, what we're learning about as we study the Word of God, is that to grow in grace means to align our lives with the life and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we create space in our lives that gives God, through the Spirit, liberty to work in us. This is something God is doing. We simply come to the Lord, laying down our lives before Him, and submit to whatever the lot in life He bestows upon us might be. And we practice contentment and gratitude and humility wherever the Lord, through the Spirit, would lead us. We learned last week that to grow in grace as Christians, we have to live a spiritually disciplined life and practice the spiritual disciplines. Today, we're asking the same question. How... Can I grow in grace? What does the Bible teach me about growing in grace? And here's what we're going to learn this morning. By surrendering your strongholds to the Savior, you can grow in grace. In other words, the more a Christian grows in grace, the more that person lives set free from strongholds. Let me see a show of hands this morning. How many are excited about the possibility of living set free from strongholds? Those of you who are Auburn Tigers fans have every opportunity this morning to become fans of the real, the one and only Tigers. Can I get an amen? Uh, I was researching this idea of strongholds and I came across an interesting article in, in uh, CNN, for C, written for CNN, Written in 2015. Let me give you the title. The article is called, What Life is Like in a Supermax Prison. This was written by a guy named Ray Sanchez. And he had visited the ADX Supermax Prison in Florence, Colorado, which is the most secure, uh, most isolated, most controlled prison in the United States. The ADX Supermax in Florida. The prison warden at ADX, who served there from 2002 to 2005, said this. ADX Supermax is far, much worse even, than death. In my opinion, he says, the Supermax is like living death every day. 
Many of more than the 400 inmates at the prison spend as much as 23 hours a day alone in 7 by 12 foot concrete cells. Meals to these individuals are slid through small holes. The bed is a concrete slab dressed with a thin mattress and blankets. A single window about 42 inches high and 4 inches wide allows some natural light in, but is made so prisoners can't see beyond the building. The cells have unmovable stools, the desks are made of concrete, and the walls are soundproof to prevent prisoners from seeing other cells or having direct contact with other inmates. For residents of the Supermax, there's no way of escape, and the hopelessness that comes with feeling that they will never be free again is the most easily distinguished feature of their state of emotional well-being. Now, none of you, I hope, will ever end up in the ADX Supermax prison in Florence. But some of us can relate to feeling like we are bound by a stronghold and so deeply imprisoned by that stronghold that there is no way of escape, that there's no way out, that we can't see any human being being able to come to our rescue. We wonder how we got there, and we feel the hopelessness that comes from wondering if we will ever be free again. That's exactly what it feels like to be trapped in the stronghold of sin. Thankfully, our God in his great mercy grants us a way of escape. Deliverance, ladies and gentlemen, is possible. Praise the Lord. That's the scene of the story we read about in Mark chapter 5. Let's turn there. I've got this on the screen. I'm going to edit out a verse or two for the sake of time. I realize this is a big section of Scripture. You guys just hang with me as I read. God's going to teach us some very important thoughts related to deliverance from strongholds. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's what God's Word tells us. They, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Jesus and the man have an interaction. Jesus asks for the man's name. And in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons that had possessed the man begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number and rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town 
in the countryside and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, listen to this church, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon possessed man to the demon possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. I'm going to pause right there. What we notice in this passage of scripture, and you wouldn't catch this based on what I just read, is that the dwelling places of strugglers. The locations that broken people, the locations that hurting people, the locations of sick people, the dwelling places of strugglers are the chosen destinations of the Savior. They're the places Jesus goes. They're the places Jesus arrives. They're the points of interest on Jesus' map quest tour of the world. Jesus is interested in being a presence in the midst of pain. If you'd back up in your Bible to Mark chapter 4, you'd actually see it. You'd have to see this on a map. And I don't have this on the screen for you this morning. So go there in your mind. In Mark 4, Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And he's actually on like the north eastern side of Galilee. And he's been teaching his disciples and others about good, so- good soil. And good soil is the kind of soil that hears the word and accepts it and produces a crop. He's also taught about truth and that truth was right in front of their eyes if they only had eyes to see. He's taught about the power of faith and, and how just a mustard seed of faith can work miracles. But then all of a sudden, as evening has come, he tells his disciples, let's load up in a boat and let's cross the Sea of Galilee. So they go from like... The northwestern part of Galilee to the area of the Gerizines, which is like the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And that would make sense if Jesus had like some major goal he wanted to accomplish in the region of the Gerizines. But the only thing Jesus does in this region is set this demon-possessed man free. And we'll read eventually that as Jesus leaves, he doesn't do anything else in this region. He doesn't establish a church. He doesn't establish a school. He doesn't plant some trees, develop a crop, and use that as some method of bringing people into a knowledge of the truth. Jesus' specific goal, and what we see time and time again in his ministry, is that he is willing to go the distance for people who are desperate. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with the sole intention of setting this man free. Because Jesus Christ is a rescuer of broken people, ladies and gentlemen. If you flip Mark back a couple of chapters, Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, you'll know this verse. Jesus says to the people that he's teaching, I have not come to heal the healthy... Because it's not they who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The irony about Jesus' teaching there, the truth about Jesus' teaching, is that every single person he's talking to in that moment is sick. 
And every single person he is talking to in that moment is a sinner in need of a Savior. And what was true at the time of Jesus is true in our world right now today. We are all sick. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We are all hurting. And we all need to be put back together by the Deliverer, by the Rescuer, by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the Most High God. Hallelujah. What we also learn here is, is because of Jesus' effort, because of how he was willing to inconvenience himself, because of the lengths he was willing to go just for this one guy, we learn that not only does Jesus rescue broken people and want to heal the sick and make sinners righteous, but Jesus loves broken people right where they are at. He loves them just where They are. So often with the strongholds in our life, so often with the struggles in our life, so often with the sin that takes us captive in life, we feel like we got to clean up and polish up and get better and heal a little bit before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings will come down from heaven and rescue us. And when we buy into that lie... We feel isolated and cut off from the world, just like the people in the ADX Supermax. And we tell ourselves things like, I'm all alone, nobody understands. I'm unloved, and I'm unlovable. And the only reason people are willing to spend time with me and talk to me and relate to me is because they don't know the strongholds in my life. And if they did, they would distance themselves from me. And Jesus is exactly the opposite. His love for the broken causes him to pursue people who are in pain. Jesus crossed the sea to rescue this broken, possessed, isolated, depressed man, and he still comes down from heaven off of his throne in glory by the power of his Spirit to rescue the broken, the downtrodden, the desperate, the depressed, the sin-sick, and the sin-imprisoned. And if you feel broken and messed up, Today, you need to speak life and truth into the brokenness and remind yourself that you are loved by Jesus, that you are pursued by Jesus, and that in Jesus, you can experience victory and healing. You are not alone. There is hope. There's hope. Man, what must it have felt like to to have been this guy? All alone, living among the tombs, waiting. And when we see stories like this, sometimes we might think, I'm glad that's not me. Somebody we know declared bankruptcy. Somebody we know experienced an affair. Somebody we know's son or daughter is using drugs and alcohol. Somebody we know relapsed. And we're quick to say, thankfully, that's not me. Thankfully, that's not my struggle. Thankfully, that's not my stronghold. But don't get it twisted, ladies and gentlemen. Anyone can struggle with any stronghold. 
Strongholds cannot not get worse. They always get worse. That's what they do. And strongholds always end in destruction. I get to work with lots of couples uh, as a minister and preacher. I had a couple in my office that traveled a long way to come see me yesterday morning. About 7.45 in the morning, I had them do what I have couples do at times. I, I had them do a, an amends-making ceremony called a knee-to-knee. The two-second explanation, I have them write four letters to each other, a resentments letter. Here are the things you've done in our marriage that have hurt me. A regrets letter, here are the things I've done in our marriage that I know have hurt you that I would like to take back. A reaffirmations letter, these are the things I have loved, I do love, and I will always love about you. And then the last letter, I ask them to imagine that the angel of death comes to their room at night, tells them their life is about to end, but before it does, they'll have the chance to write one last letter to their loved one called, I know I'm going to die soon, and this is what I really want you to know about me and about us. And the husband wrote a beautiful and eloquent letter, and in the letter he wrote the phrase, I never thought as a child that I would grow up to become an alcoholic. And no one ever says when they're young, I hope in life I develop a substance abuse problem that becomes full-blown alcoholism. He looked his wife dead in the eye and he said, but that's what happened to me and I'm sorry. Now, friends, I can assure you that what that guy said in that moment is absolutely true. When he was young, he never thought he would fall into the stronghold of substance abuse. He never thought that he would develop an addiction to alcohol. And when he was struggling, I promise you, he never thought it would destroy his career, his marriage, and his family. And I assure you that the man in Mark chapter 5, while he may not have been voted the most likely to prosper, and maybe wasn't the captain of his team or the president of the student council, he never intended to end up living a life in the tombs, crying day and night so desperate for relief, he was cutting himself with stones. He didn't intend to get there. And he didn't think he would get there. But each of us has a problem, and it's called our flesh, and it is pulling us like gravity towards cheap thrills and sins. In Mark 7, as Jesus was teaching, he says just that. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart... That evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Mark 7, 23, all of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Your flesh is pulling you towards sin, and you know what I'm saying is true because you live it every day. Don't play like you don't. And that sin, when we give in to it, leads to guilt, which leads to shame. And the solution to guilt and shame is only found in the Savior. But that requires some submission. And the lie we so often believe is that submission is too hard. It's too difficult. It'll cost me too much. 
In reality, submission is the simplest and easiest step you will ever take in life towards your freedom. But in your natural mind, you are deceived. We all are. And we're deceived by thinking that there's an easier way, there's a simpler way, there's a quicker way. So we take matters into our own hands and we allow ourselves to be led astray by some artificial, cheap, quick fix solution that offers a sense of relief but ends in even greater guilt and greater shame and greater pain which drives us to seek that same solution time and time again and the cycle continues, ladies and gentlemen, getting deeper and deeper, making us feel worse and worse, more miserable, more desperate, more isolated, more alone, a little bit every single moment closer to our own dwelling amongst the tombs. Matthew 7, 13, you've heard this. This is New Living Translation. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The way of submission. I like the NLT because of this phrase. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose. Listen to that word. Who choose that way. The choices you make and the choices I make are the choices that God's grace has given us the capacity to make. And by the grace of God, we stand at a fork in the road. And on the right is the narrow way, the way of submission, the simple and easy path. And on the left is the wide gate, the way that leads to hell, the way that ends in destruction. And many, unfortunately, choose it. But if we want to grow in grace, then we got to make the choice to take the narrow way and thus emulate the life of Jesus. I was talking about this passage with a friend about six months ago, uh, and something occurred to me as I was studying this, and I hope you'll get this. As I was reading this passage, it occurred to me that even if you break the chains of your stronghold, listen to me, even if you break the chains of your stronghold, you will never actually break free. Even if you can break the chains, you will never actually break free. So when Jesus comes to the shore of the Gerizines and he's crossed the Sea of Galilee, this guy comes running to catch Jesus. He was running. The man was physically free. Free to run, free to roam, free to live how he wanted to live, do what he wanted to do. If you read the story carefully, you're going to see something really sinister in the words that we read today. The man had been chained before. He'd been bound before. And look what happened to those chains. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 4, the last part of that verse says, The man, listen to him, he tore the chains apart. And he broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough, wow, to subdue him. Now think of that guy in life. Nothing could stop him. 
Nothing could hold him down. He could tear the chains off his wrist. He could tear the shackles off of his ankles. He can break his own self free. And, and it is such a sinister, uh, it is such a destructive, it is such a false uh, part of our culture's narrative that the people we should respect the most and the people we should admire the most are the people that can't be hold down, held down by anyone or anything, are the people that can break their own chains, are the people that can set themselves free. The truth about actual freedom is that the more you try to set your own self free, the deeper in prison you find yourself bound. So many people would consider this guy as truly free. We'd say, man, this guy is self-sufficient. This guy can get himself out of anything. Nothing can hold this guy down. Man, I wish I could be like that. But no matter how many times this guy broke himself free, He never actually broke free. In fact, each time he broke free, he just lashed chains on himself even heavier and heavier and heavier. Church, you can never set yourself free. There is not enough self-help books on the planet. There is not enough counseling on the planet. There is not enough medication on the planet. There is not enough advice. There is not enough dieting. There is not enough athletic training. There is not enough secret knowledge for you to ever acquire to truly set your own self free. And support's also not the answer. You can have two friends. You can have 200 friends. And it simply won't make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, freedom from strongholds can only come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And when the Son, come on somebody, when the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And unless the Son sets you free, you will never be truly free. One of the greatest dangers of life is to have the sense that you don't need the Son to be free. This person set himself free many times because he'd been bound many times. I'm going to deviate for just a second and I'm about to close. The first part of Mark 5, 4 says that this guy had often been bound and chained hand and foot. This was apparently a regular practice for the people of the community to get together. And either out of love for this man, which we certainly hope that was their motive, or out of love for themselves or their own comfort so that they didn't have to see this guy and deal with this guy and think about this guy, they tried to hold him down and chain him up. Eventually, the community just writes the guy off, puts him in a place where dead people are supposed to dwell, a place where nobody wants to go and no one would ever go, and they forget about the guy. Cut off. From the world may as well have been in the supermax prison. And while we don't know what motivated this community initially to change this guy down, there's no way to know that from the text. We know that eventually the attitude of these people was to get this guy out of sight and out of mind. What a tragedy. Then we get an interesting description in Mark. If you're studying this, lots of scholars take lots of time to try to figure out the significance of the pigs. Why is that a, a, an important enough part of the story to have included in the text? 
And there are lots of things I could say. Could have taught a whole sermon on this, unbeknownst to me. But as I start studying, you learn some things. And the pigs, ultimately, for the for the region of the Gerasenes, were a status symbol, material and financial security. They were everything the future could be for this group of people. And this community ultimately valued pigs more than a person. When, when the people who saw what happened between Jesus and this guy see it, they go to the community and they say what happened, and the, and the community doesn't come out and rejoice. They don't come out and offer some praise. They don't come out and offer some thanks. They don't come out and invite this guy to their homes for dinner or parade him around town and boast about the power of God. These people are afraid. And listen to what they do, man. They ask Jesus if he could just go on and leave. Hey, Jesus, you're an inconvenience, man. All this material stuff we've accumulated, what you're, what you're telling us is that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter as much as this guy. It doesn't matter as much as your mission. It doesn't matter as much as your purpose. What a great sin to value pigs over people. Well, I want you to know that White Street Road Church is committed to valuing people over pigs, over the material world, over material security, over status symbols, and over our future. White Street Road is making the commitment, has and will always make the commitment to surround the struggling, to walk alongside them and offer an opportunity to point and guide people to Jesus. If that wasn't the case, they'd have never hired a broken former addict to preach and teach in this pulpit in front of you great people. Hallelujah. That's great. And we're committed to valuing people, ladies and gentlemen, for real, really valuing people. And that means anybody, people from any socioeconomic class, wealthy, poor, or somewhere in between, people from any racial background, doesn't matter, you're welcome here. People from any sinful background, sexual immorality, substance use, any form of idolatry, it doesn't matter. We value people above all else, and we are sold out on our mission to make disciples from every nation, tribe, tongue, and background and struggle who will love God, love others, and who will learn how to share Jesus as a result of their fellowship with this local community of believers. So... In November, we are going to offer a free conference, and we're going to do this kind of stuff from time to time. I got a brochure for you. This will be handed out in the Bible class you attend. And these conferences that are free are going to be geared towards equipping our church to respond to strongholds in our local community. This is geared towards the stronghold of sexual immorality. We want you, and I want everybody in this room and everybody watching online to make an attempt to be here Saturday, November 16th from 9 to 1. We'll feature a man who was delivered by Jesus powerfully from the stronghold of same-sex attraction. His name is Christopher Ewan. Ladies and gentlemen, I want our church to stay on the front lines. Our culture is pumping, literally, megawatt tons. I don't even know if that is a thing. It just sounds like a lot. (laughs) Of sexual sin into your mind and heart and the mind of heart and heart's of your children and your loved ones, and White's Hero Church is not going to stand for that. And we're going to speak truth, 
into, into strongholds and offer people a genuine chance, the only chance they really have at freedom. Uh, Christopher, you will be speaking from our pulpit on 1117, uh, the following Sunday. And I want you to, to, uh, participate in that by not only attending, but let people know, man. We want you to know. We want the community to know. Because we want people set free from all backgrounds and walks of life. Uh, and when we live on mission, church family, we see miracles happen today. I didn't read the last part of our text. That's Mark 5, 18 through 20. I've got this on the screen for you. As Jesus was getting into the boat, remember, the only reason he came over to Gerizim's was to set this guy free. He accomplishes that mission. He's done, man. He dwells. His destination is the dwelling place of struggling people. He gets in the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed <laughs> begged to go with him. I, I can't imagine he would do anything other than that. And Jesus didn't let him. No, man, you can't drink milk the rest of your life. You can't stay comfortable the rest of your life. You've got to get on the front lines. He said, go home to your own people and tell them, man, tell them. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Deliverance happens when the strongholds of struggling people encounter the Savior. That is so simple. Whatever the stronghold is, imagine the toughest thing you've ever been through. You remember how complex it felt? How difficult it felt, how impossible that mountain felt like it would be to climb. All you got to do is bring your strongholds to the Savior and you can be set free. That is what you are really looking for in life, whether you believe it or not. This guy had tried every measure he could to free himself. The town and community had tried everything. He just ended up worse than before. Nothing worked until... A Christ encounter, and then everything worked. Everything worked. This man was in his right mind. He had a sense of purpose. He was equipped to carry out that purpose with success. And he finally had meaning in life, and so can you. It doesn't matter what career you've got or where you live or how much money you do or don't have in the bank. You have a specific calling, which is to live set free And you will be freely provided the equipment to carry it out. And until you start living that plan for your life, you won't find that anything in life really works. And when you live that plan, it'll start falling in place. So I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, are you bound today? It may not look this bad, and it may not be this obvious, but are you bound by sin? Are you struggling with the stronghold of sin? And maybe some of you think it looks worse than this guy. It doesn't matter. Today can be the day of your freedom. You can receive the mercy of God. And leave here with the opportunity to live on mission and tell everybody you meet for the rest of your life what the Lord has done for you. Don't miss this opportunity. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, you are so full of grace and truth. Your grace calls out to us as you come down from heaven to rescue us. And your truth challenges us in such a way that we cannot be left 
after we encounter you the way we were before we encountered you. I know some people in this auditorium are bound, are bound by a stronghold and need deliverance. And the only freedom to be had in life is freedom in you. Strengthen those men and women. Give them the grace to respond. And I pray that each person who's hearing this prayer would choose the narrow way, would get humble, would respond, and by the grace of God would be set free. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.